The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. And welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Benched with Bubba. This is episode 38, and special guest tonight. Uh, we'll be talking about the Kentucky Derby. Some like to call it the greatest two minutes in sports. So I'd like to bring on someone very knowledgeable in horse racing. Uh, some of you know her on Twitter as at Parlay Queen. You can find her work at covers.com. You can hear her on America's Best Racing. Monique, how are you doing tonight? Doing very well, thank you. Very excited for the weekend. Uh, how's everyone doing? Good, good, good. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Um, the 143rd Kentucky Derby, everyone gets excited. It's funny because I know I've followed you for a while and you, you talk about horse racing all the time because, well, and degenerates know there's horse racing every weekend pretty much. But um, this is when people kind of start paying attention when you start talking Triple Crown and the big races. Um, let's get into a little bit before we get to the Derby, kind of what's your background in sports and horse racing that kind of got you going? You know, I've always grown, I've grown up around sports and gambling. They were always on TV at home. My household was always super competitive. So it's something that brought us together. And horse racing in particular is something I've always loved. It's one of those things where you can always find a new angle to tackle races from. And since no two races are even remotely the same, rewatching videos, studying past performances, looking into breeding, everything gives you a huge edge. And the payouts are so amazing that if you ever get lucky enough to hit any one of those exotic wagers and uncover a long shot, there's really nothing like it for your return. No, that's great. That, that, uh, for those that have wagered on horse racing at a sports book, it's awesome because like people just go crazy, stuff gets thrown, it's just entertaining. But if you can go to a track, that is doesn't beat that. It doesn't, and it doesn't have to be a big race. Like I've just, I've gone to Santa Anita on a, you know, a Saturday and just random Saturdays and it's fun. That's so, the great thing about it. There's just always a race going on too. And you don't have to follow one track in particular. Like there's horse racing going on, honestly, in Australia, Japan, anywhere at any time. And that's the thing. It's, it's a great thing, but I mean, personally, I prefer to bet more of the competitive races for higher purses. And I just find that horses run more true to form and that, but it, it, there's always something to bet. Yeah. Um, Speaking of betting horses, I have a few different questions before we get into, you know, let's get into the basics of how to bet horses. And then I want to kind of pick your brain on strategy on horses. But so, you know, like there's the money lines and people say exactas and, you know, trifectas and all these different things that maybe the, you know, not the regular better would understand. Can you kind of give a brief run through on what the basics of horse betting can be? 
Well, for the most part, you you have your your three wagers, your win, place, show, and those are your basics. That's win is just to win the race, place is to be second or first, and you still get payouts based on that, and show would be just to hit the board. And I mean, obviously, the win payout is going to be the highest because, you know, it's hardest to win the race. Um, exactas and trifectas are all just in one specific race, whereas you get like the pick fours, fives, and sixes, which are consecutive races in in order so you also have like the daily double and they have for kentucky derby weekend a special daily double which is the kentucky oaks and the derby itself so it's a good wager i mean they're a day apart but you can also change the base of the wager to make it more competitive to you so by changing the base you would just get the payout multiplied by half the wager so now, when you're betting on horses, do you prefer just to go just you know like a standard money line, or do you like the win place show? That, that's one I prefer. When my buddies and I, we just want to go have fun, you know, certain tracks, you know, two dollar beers or whatever, whatever you want to do. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I want to go win place show, so I put like fifteen bucks down, and as long as they're in the top three, you at least hopefully get your money back at worst. Um, Absolutely. So is that kind of what your your favorite bet is? Or do you like to like roll the dice on a money line? Or do you like to go for the, in theory of like, say someone that bets football or basketball or something that knows parlays, like a trifecta or something like that, that pays out big? Well, my personal favorite bet is the pick four or five or six. It's one of those sequential bets where having one or two big long shots opens you up to the possibility of winning the whole pool. So there are often races, which when you study the card, you can see that they're entirely wide open. And when you're betting a pick four or five or six, you have the option of selecting multiple horses in a race. So I love doing that because you really need to like, it's not that expensive of a bet, especially if you find maybe a single throughout it. So obviously the more horses you add, the more expensive your wager is, but that's usually where you're seeing like the life changing amounts as payouts and it's cheap. You can take a shot. You don't need to bet it for a dollar. You can change the base of it and have a whole bunch of horses included for cheap too, but that's really where the pools are the biggest and you're having a shot at the most money. So that's probably my favorite bet. And you just said something there that I also wanted to mention to people that haven't bet horses is you don't have to be intimidated. It's not like going to like a blackjack table where it's a minimum bet of like 25 bucks or something. You can go and bet like a dollar or $2 on any of the, like there's really no, you don't have to be a big, basically you don't have to be a big spender is what I'm trying to say. And you still have the same rush when they're coming down the stretch. So it's awesome. Oh, for sure. And then they have the option where, like I was saying earlier, that you can change the base of it. So typically, if you bet it for a dollar, it would cost you if you do, for example, a pick four, it would cost you one dollar to pick the winner in each of the four races. But they changed it so you can make the base maybe a 50 cent base. So it's going to cost you half the amount to bet it. And you can still have multiple shots at horses winning the race. You don't need to single on to only one horse. So just by doing that, you know, it gives you an extra incentive and it gives you something to cheer for. So you're not, if your horse is dead last, for example, like you still, you still have a shot by selecting multiple other ones. So I like that. And it's, you know, it depends on how much you want to bet per race, but for a dollar, $2, you can have a shot at winning a life changing amount of money. And that's honestly true. You obviously got to get lucky, but I mean, that's, that's sports betting in general, I'd say. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Everyone can say, can claim that they're a professional at this or that, but when it comes down to it, I think a lot of it's more lucky than good when it comes down to, to sports betting. But yeah, for um, sure. but 
Um, let's get into the, actually the evaluation of horses because, you know, when we watch, you know, human sports, you kind of have an idea of how the human body works, how the game is played and all these things. Now, when you're talking horses, you said you watch video, the breeding lines, there's jockeys, there's tracks. Um, how deep do you go into all these different factors? Oh, I like to look at pretty much everything I can get my hands on. I'm kind of, I'm more, I'd consider myself more of a spot better. Like I'm not playing for the sake of just having action on every race. I like to look into everything. So I'll play the stats and I feel you can't hold too much weight to one race in particular. So I feel like judging a horse purely based on one race, you're not really taking into account the external factors to be considered. Like how was the track playing on that particular day? Was it speed favoring? Um, How was the condition of the track? Was it muddy? How was the dirt or turf? And when you're only looking at a past performance line, sometimes you don't see if the horse was interfered with coming out of the break, or you have situations where the jockey can lose their whip, or the fractions were too quick or slow early on in the race. So there's no opportunity really for closers. So I love to look at everything. I feel like with horse racing in particular, you can't do too much research. You, no matter how much you do, you tend to find that you do get rewarded if you try to consider every possible scenario and you take as much information as you can possibly extract. And that's only in your favor. Okay. Um, you mentioned briefly there. Um, well, we actually didn't mention. So the jockeys, how much do you feel the jockeys impact your decision on the horses? I love to back a horse when a jockey's consistently ridden the horse. I like that. I feel like, you know, you, you every horse is obviously different, so you get to know them better. But in my honest opinion, I think there really isn't that much that separates the jockeys. I mean, obviously, there's a huge difference between, you know, Mike Smith versus Patrick Husbands, for example. But, you know, the top 10 or 20 jockeys in the nation, there really isn't that much that differentiates them. I just feel like them being on the best horse or knowing the horse better gives them the edge, but I would never discount a horse based on a jockey. Okay. Yeah. Cause there, there's certain times when it's, um, I'll be in Vegas with the guys or at some sports book and we'll just grab the, the list for the, the races that day. And we'll say, okay, we're not going to go crazy somewhere. We're just going to sit here make some light bets and enjoy the day. And one thing we'll do is we'll watch the first few races. And on some of those slower days, you'll notice like a jockey will race almost every race. Mm-hmm. And we kind of pick up on, you know, if they're hot. They might know the, the track maybe. Is there something to that? Or are we just kind of drinking and thinking things are not what they are? No, I mean, that's definitely true. Obviously, it depends what kind of horse they're on, and the odds will pretty much give you a good indication of that. But there are definitely those days where jockeys will win four or five on a card, and you can really tell. But I think that, you know, it's important to look at the races beforehand and kind of pencil out or circle out which ones you think they have a shot in. But absolutely, I, I think that they they can definitely get hot and win a bunch of races on a card and I think that that's maybe some days they're riding better than another. Okay and one last question on these uh, evaluations of horses before we move on when it comes to breeders like we hear like Bob Baffert's been there forever and he's pretty successful and then you have a bunch of other ones um, obviously there's something to that. Now do you how much do you pay attention to like the new breeders and are like the kind of out of nowhere, they have one horse compared to like the Bafferts that have like two or three. And, you know, I, I know I'm kind of fumbling this up, but you, I think you know where I'm going with this. Um, yeah. 
the not so well known guys, does it do they even really have a chance as often? I know they have lately, but in past it was almost like they're already out of it. Yeah, that's that's kind of true. The thing is, like when you spend the kind of money like recently within the past, I'd say decade, you're really getting people spending big money on horses like you know 15 20 years ago it was kind of unheard of for a horse being purchased for one and a half million so i mean the fact that that's happening now you really want to put the best of the best involved in training and that's really important but i think there is some type of merit to having a horse or a trainer with one horse in their bar and i think you really devote most of your time to that horse so i feel that there there definitely isn't you're put in an advantageous position only having one to worry about. Um, I feel like you spend more time on that than anything. So it, it also really depends. Like they're, they're the best trainers in the world for a reason. They have the track record, but they do get the horses. That's the thing. But you tend to find that a lot of lesser known trainers are the ones that are more closely involved in breeding. And that's why maybe they'll, um, they'll breed one of the horses they used to have that was good. So there really won't be very many out of that specific sire. So that's why you'll have a trainer like an Art Sherman or someone who just kind of bust on the scene recently who doesn't have that big of a stable. So, I mean, there is some merit to having one horse, but obviously the more you have, the better. And if you have the best horse in the field, you're probably going to give it to the best trainer because he can do the most with it, I would say. No, that all makes makes perfect sense. That's uh, well said. Okay, let's head to Louisville to Churchill Downs, and um, the the big race is on Saturday. But there's uh, on Friday you have the Kentucky Oaks, like you mentioned, and there's some other races there. Um, when it comes to Churchill Downs, what kind of tracks are they running for the most part? And we can just do briefly. Are there any races we're really looking forward to Friday, Saturday before the Derby? To be honest, it's really the Kentucky Oaks. I know it sounds like one of those cop-out answers, but there's a horse that I'm really adamant on in the in the Kentucky Oaks, and I think that she's going to have a super dominant performance. Other than that, I'm pretty disappointed by the card. There's a lot of cheaper races and not as competitive fields as I would like. Like I, I tend to prefer to bet the huge fields just I feel the payouts are way better and I get a better return on my investment if I if I hit but the Oaks is what I'm focused on other than the Derby okay um now let's get to the Derby leading up to the Derby you know they've been racing elsewhere that's how the evaluations have happened that's how the line moves have been happening some of the big ones I've heard of you know you have the one like in LA then you had the Florida race you had Arkansas Derby um how do you how close do those represent the actual race in Churchill Downs to help you evaluate, or is it just kind of an idea to see how well they're running? What do you take out of those races? They're really tough to analyze because you're really not getting like some of the races are more competitive than than others, obviously, and you sometimes get like the ones that are raced in California where you really only have, you have a bunch of California breads and a lot of trainers aren't shipping their horses east to west. They're, they're tough to, they're tough to analyze. There's a couple of them, which, you know, you can really tell are super competitive races by how many of those horses go on to enter in the Derby. There's something to consider, but I feel the best way to handicap those are to watch it with your own eyes. And perhaps it's a, it's a good angle to, 
analyze times and to see how well they've been, like how competitive the times are from one to another. But the prep races are exactly that. They're important to finish well to get points for the Derby, but I wouldn't hold too much weight if you don't, if you like a horse that hasn't really done that well in the prep races, as long as they're in the Derby, they have a shot. And that's the way I look at it. Okay. That's what I was wondering. Cause the stuff I've been reading leading up to this, getting ready for this, it's like someone goes, well, I saw this horse in the Arkansas Derby. That's why they're going to win. And then someone else said, well, I was at the Florida Derby. So that's why this one's going to win. And it's like, well, like you said, if it's a horse you like, what's well, a horse you like. So yeah, I guess it doesn't matter. Um, so real quick, what kind of track are you running? How big is it? What, what size are we, are we going with here for uh, Saturday? Sorry, I didn't hear what you said. Oh, sorry for Saturday for the race. What kind of a, what, what size track are we going with here? How, how big, how long is the race? Oh, the distances of, are you mean like the distances from Derby to Derby? Just, no, uh, just for the, just for the Kentucky Derby from start to finish. Oh, it's, it's 10 furlongs and that's, it's definitely a grueling distance. You want to be backing horses that have shown that they're able to handle the stretch out and distance because you have a lot of horses. You, you pretty much have horses that are sprinters or route runners and you want to see a horse that has been able to tackle a distance over a mile. That's the way I like to handicap it. For the most part, you don't have pure sprinters being entered in the derby and obviously they've shown they can handle the distance based on the prep races to qualify for points. But um, pedigree wise, you want to look for horses that can handle the distance and you want to look at the specific horses in general, how well they performed at distances over a mile. All right. So we're at the Derby now. Um, They're saying conditions could potentially be wet and muddy come Saturday. Um, Let's get into the 20 horses then. It's one of the more wide open fields, they're saying. We have a, a couple five to ones, a four to one classic empire. I believe it is the favorite at four to one. What are you looking at as you analyze the field? What horses stand out to you the most? To me, I'm always looking for I'm always looking for long shots. I feel in a race like the Derby where there are so many horses entered. There's so much racing luck needed. If you have a poor break from the start and you're a front runner and you're, as opposed to being in the earlier pack and being positioned fourth or fifth, you're forced to be, you know, 17th or 18th. That just really screws up your race. So I'm always looking for horses at prices that I think have a good shot. So when I broke, bro- um, breaking down the Derby, I really liked Gunavera. Um, I love to see a horse that's going a longer distance that shows a great closing kick. For me, it's necessary um, in all the different racing styles, whether you're a front runner, pace setter, whatever, to have that strong closing kick. I think breeding-wise, although Gunavera wasn't as expensive of a purchase as others, I think he has quite a few champions in his pedigree. He's one of those that has the stamina and the ability to handle the distance. And I think he's definitely a horse that's dependent on moderately fast fractions up front early so to set up for closers rather than having someone well rated on the front end but I think at a price he's definitely worth a shot Um, I also like the horse the rail horse looking at Lee I think he's one of those colts that'll also appreciate the added distance Um, he also is reliant on a faster pace up front but I think this may be the year where we see horses tire up front leaving the door open for closers 
um, like you were saying earlier about the track, how it's playing out and jockeys relating to that track. I think you must respect the addition of jockey Corey Lannery, who has won 11 of the 12 jockey titles at Churchill Downs. So if someone is a type of player that likes to see jockeys based on specific tracks, he's definitely a horse to consider. And the rail post isn't necessarily the worst for him because he will be closing. So he's not reliant on a super clean break or reliant to be forwardly positioned. So I think he definitely has a shot at a really big price. Very nice. Very nice. If you had to look into one of the, you know, favorites between always dreaming classic empire, McCracken, I'll even throw Irish, Irish war city. Which one of those is the one you're, you'd have, if you had to do one, which one would you be going with? I I'm in my superfecta. I'm, going to include Classic Empire and McCracken. I think as far as the shorter priced horses go, Classic Empire is definitely deserving of the Derby favorite status. He was dominant as a two-year-old. He had a 108 buyer in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile at two, and his victory in the Arkansas Derby was really impressive. The thing about him in particular was his Arkansas Derby was such a huge rebound after his third place finish in the Holy Bull. And researching why he was so disappointing in the holy bull we found out that he had um, a minor foot issue during the race so obviously not racing at 100 percent you you can obviously excuse that i think he's just completely been dominant at two and three and he's as far as a desert uh deserving derby favorite he's definitely it uh, McCracken, he knows Churchill Downs really well. He's won all three of his juvenile starts over the dirt. Uh, his training efforts are really impressive as of late, and that's why a lot of people are really, really on to him. Um, training more so than his races, and obviously he's won four of five, which is impressive, but he's obviously a serious contender. I think he draws a really good post in post 17, but for some reason, I, maybe it's the trainer. I, I don't know. And probably the jockey too. I don't think he's really, he has that good of a shot at winning, but I mean, he's definitely a, a serious contender and can obviously hate, hit the board. Very nice. Um, is it true that I heard classic empire is a uh, sire of California Chrome? Is that true? Uh, he's, well, he's out of pioneer of the Nile, which is the same as American Pharaoh. So breeding wise, they're similar and you, you tend to find that like looking through in, in pedigrees, a lot of horses have a huge overlap between like there, there's no surprise that a horse that was purchased for 475,000, like classic empire was, they, they have huge overlaps in their pedigree. But as far as I'm concerned, they're not related any okay. more than that really. Okay. And then one last thing you mentioned McCracken and on the 15 spot uh, on the post, you mentioned that being a good spot. Um, when you're looking at post positions, what are you looking at? Like middle of the middle of the you know postings, or where are you kind of focusing at when you're looking at your horses? It's funny because I'm actually I'm one of the exceptions of people that don't really care that much about post positions, but there are a lot of people that die by post positions. They won't back anyone that's on the extreme outside or extreme inside. I think you ideally want to be somewhere out of trouble. You don't want to be on the rail because everyone's breaking out of the gate and pushing towards the rail. You don't want to be there. You don't want to be in the middle of the gate, although it's not terrible. The outside is good because 
you're pretty much having a clean running room towards the rail. You can position yourself pretty well. Um, the thing is, the problem with breaking from the outside is oftentimes you could be forced to race your race from the far outside. You could be four or five lengths outside. And obviously, the further outside away from the rail you are, the more steps you're traveling and the more ground you have to make up. While that's not necessarily the worst thing, I think it can definitely factor into being more tired and not having enough steps late as of late or having too much ground to make up, for example, which is a problem that you you tend to have if you don't break very well out of the outside post. Gotcha. Um, and then one last thing. So with potential rain coming in can make really muddy, mucky conditions. Are there any kind of horses that aren't really on the radar at the moment that could take a big leap up in the sloppier conditions? I haven't really looked into that. When I was looking into what the weather is supposed to be like, um, I found that it's, uh, from what I can see, there's a 60% chance of rain expected on Saturday in general, but throughout the afternoon, the percentage lowers and it's expected to clear up. I feel that could have some weight on the track potentially playing out faster than normal, but I wouldn't drastically reevaluate my handicapping with a bit of rain. I think that if the track does end up playing out um, where it is muddier than normal, just analyzing the horses for their efforts over the sloppy track or an off track is a good angle. But I don't necessarily believe that some, like, I mean, I do believe some horses are obviously better and take better to the off track, but I don't think it's that deterring. I think maybe your East Coast ha horses would have an advantage in that sense because you're more likely, obviously, to see rain on the East Coast and they're more likely to have ran on the off track before. But I don't really think that I would reevaluate the way I handicap purely based on that. Fair enough. I appreciate that. Um, all right. Before we get to the last couple of questions, just random ones I want to know. Have you ever been to the Derby? No, I haven't. I've I've really wanted to go. Obviously, that's for sure on my bucket list. That along with going to the Super Bowl, but I haven't I haven't made the trip yet. I'm I plan on it soon, but not soon enough. Obviously. Have you been to any of the Triple Crown races? I haven't. It's oh, it's terrible. I know. <laughs> hey, I understand. It, it happens. Um, so the ladies love to wear those big big hats. Are you a hats person when it comes to horse racing? Oh, absolutely. I It's it's so much fun. It's, it's part of it. It's part of the tradition. I'm huge on tradition in general, and you might as well. I mean, how many days of the year can you actually walk out of the house wearing a hat or a fascinator like that and not be looked at like you're a complete crazy person? To actually justify having a hat as crazy as those, I mean, you got you got to wear it somewhere. That's so true. Um, I've looked at the outfits the guys wear, and I said flat out, I will rock whatever you want to wear when we go, but I don't know where I'll put it afterwards because it. I don't know when I'll wear it again, but I will definitely wear the bow tie and the whole cha-cha. But um, it's crazy how one day can do that to everybody. Um, oh, I know. You'll never be the weirdest dress, too. That's the thing. Your hat will never, um, ever be the biggest, never be the weirdest, and you'll never look out of place. That's the best thing or the worst thing. I don't know. It depends how you take it. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. It's fun. That's what makes sports great is you can just do stuff like that. Sure. Um, and then they have their, their drink of choice is the mint julep. What is your opinion on the mint julep? I don't know. It, it's not bad. Like it, it's nothing 
to be crazy over. It's obviously not my drink of choice. I, I don't really like those type of sweet cocktails. They're not my favorite, but I mean, you, you have to try it. That's one thing that no matter what you, you got to try just to say, you know, you've tried it before and then form your own opinions. But from what I know, I didn't really like it. And the opinions are very polarizing. It's one of those things where like you love it or you hate it. It's really no in between. Yes, exactly. You love it or you hate it. I hate it, but I know people that love it. Um, I prefer just to have the whiskey part of it. You can take the rest of it away. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it is an acquired taste, as they say. Um, moving on. So the Triple Crown, this is obviously leg one. And then we'll have the Preakness coming up in two weeks, and we'll have the Belmont. They're saying this is the most wide-open derby in years. Um, in years past, the Preakness kind of seems to be a smaller race. Maybe it'll be different this year. Do we have a legit chance at a triple crown or does it seem like one of those years where it's going to be really difficult? It's it's going to be really difficult. There's no way around it. You're running a mile and a quarter, a mile and three sixteenths, and a mile and a half all over the span of weeks. So I always lean towards no with there being a triple crown winner. Um, I also think going into American Pharaoh's triple crown run, we saw his continued dominance throughout three, which we haven't really seen with any of these horses. So saying that this is one of the most wide open derbies ever is is honestly an understatement. It's very hard to even analyze who's going to win the derby, let alone who's going to be able to bounce back after the derby or who's going to be trained well enough or who has the stamina, distance, pedigree, everything to handle the three drastically different distances of the Triple Crown races. Yeah, the, the wide openness is crazy because when I first looked at the uh... – the odds, like you, like when you had American Pharaoh, he was almost even or pretty close to it. Um, and then your next one was probably like eight or nine to one. And then it just gets bigger and bigger here. Like I said, you have a four to one, two, five to one, a six to one, and then a bunch of 15s and 20s and 30s. And you only have one or two 50s. Like it's, there's not a ton of gap compared to normal. It's uh, a lot of interesting things. looks like they can take place come Saturday. That's true. That's the thing is the morning line odds are, Really, they could be a little bit different than what you see at post time. Obviously, it could be higher than normal or lower than normal than what you expect. But come Derby Day and come post time, the odds are going to be completely as scattered and as wide open as they are now. And that's the thing. It's it's great, but it's also it makes it makes it even more difficult just because there really isn't one standout, and that's obviously indicated by the odds and it's it's great from a betting perspective and the payouts would be amazing if you can get maybe only one favorite in the money and if you do like for example classic empire and you you put them on top of your superfectas or trifectas or anything your payout will be worth it and it'll be enormous if you get a bunch of long shots behind that. So that's the thing that makes it great as opposed to with you know American Pharaoh where he was such low odds at post time that even having long shots behind him or having higher price horses behind him, the payout won't be as good as it will be this year. Definitely. Um, so this is probably a, a dumb question. Now, as wide open as this is, do you have any early Preakness favorites or is it just kind of like, wow, we got to wait and see? 
Um, I don't have any early looks for the Preakness. Um, I like to see who's capable of handling the Derby distance. I like to see who disappoints and analyze the race as another line on their resume. Um, I also really like to bet horses who, especially as of late, who skipped out on the Derby and are waiting for the Preakness or waiting for a longer race like the Belmont. I think often those are fresher horses and they're entered in a race where trainer and connections feel they're best suited at that distance. So I think that there's definitely some merit to having a horse entering fresh. Oh yeah. No, the, uh, like you already mentioned, the grueling schedule of the triple crown is, is tough. That's why it's so hard for these horses to do it. And people understand that. Um, besides the optimal race for their horse, like you just said, why wouldn't a breeder or a trainer or an owner, however you want to look at it, want their horse to potentially have a triple crown and just wait till the Belmont or the Preakness or whatever? It's very difficult to win a race like the Kentucky Derby if you're just because of how many horses are entered. You could have the best horse, but at the end of the day, you have a one in 19 shot at winning. And I think that you have horses that are used to racing, for example, any import horse that you have. So there's a horse in here, um, the two horse, I believe, um, the horse from Ireland. Uh, Thunderstone? Yes. He's used to racing in bigger fields. So that's definitely, it could be a huge culture shock for a horse that goes out of a seven horse field, eight horse field, and then all of a sudden is catapulted with 20 other horses. They may not take well to that. Um, also for closers, especially in the Kentucky Derby, there's a reason we haven't seen the horses that are quote unquote come from the clouds horses. It's so tough to navigate in a race like the Kentucky Derby. And in something like the Preakness, it's a lot smaller of a field. So you have that as a factor. Um, and then the Belmont, there were very few horses, I believe, that actually excel at a distance like a mile and a half. And I think that that's one of the races that are often run most true to form. And you don't need to be an expert on pedigree to be able to analyze the horses that come out of a sire that has won a race like the Belmont or any of the articles you'll read that talk about pedigree, you'll be able to see that. Um, I think there's just, because there actually is such a distinct difference between the Derby, the Preakness and the Belmont, I think it's important to pick and choose your battles. And you also don't want to enter in the Kentucky Derby and then be a horse who's better suited racing longer and be too tired, for example, for that, because you entered in the Derby and finished 17th, for example, and then, you know, your horse is bred for the mile and a half distance, but just is too tired or doesn't really have anything left for that race. Yeah, that's the best thing I could see is you want 100% for a chance to win if you can't win the others. I just figured I was like, you know, pretty much you would think most of these breeders and trainers and everything are so competitive they want to say that their horse can do it all, but maybe they just look at the bottom line and winning, winning one race could win you millions where finishing fifth and then eighth and then 12th. Cause you're tired. Don't doesn't do much of anything. That's true. And that could also screw up come down the road. If your horse is you, you want to breed your horse out later on, if your horse is finished dead last in the Kentucky Derby, but, enters the Derby on a four race, five race win streak, but finishes last in the Derby and last in the Preakness, it really could affect the amount of money you get down the road for breeding your horse. It actually really could tarnish the record of your horse and the 
A lot of people will breed with your horse based on potential and the pedigree of it. But when someone's looking at the past performance line and sees that you finished last in the Derby, last in the Preakness, last in the Belmont, I mean, you're kind of losing out on a lot of money down the road if you so choose to breed your horse later on. Definitely. Well, that was great. We covered a lot, the basics, the race, a little bit of everything. Uh, anything else you'd like to touch on? Any sports, horse, anything? Ooh, uh, I don't know. Um, it's amazing. It's an amazing time of year. It's so overwhelming. There's just so many amazing post-seasons of everything happening. Um, I was huge. I'm, I'm a huge hockey fan, obviously. Um, love the NHL. Love postseason NHL, but this year I'm I could not be more wrong. I so confused on that. Um, recently getting into NBA, uh, my Raptors suck, getting dominated. So being a Toronto sports fan, there isn't really much to cheer for. But you you, you can't beat this time of year. There's just everything is happening now. Yeah, I'll jump into play, uh, NBA playoffs probably next rounds when I'll start paying attention a little more. Uh, it'll, it'll catch my eye. Um, hockey, the Sharks went out early. They were disappointing to me in my backyard because I go to those games quite often. But, um, yeah, playoff hockey, you don't even have to be like a fan of a certain team. That is some of the best stuff you'll ever watch, period. It's amazing. It's honestly on on a whole other level. It's But this year in particular, it's just – it's so, you know, for me, it's it's like a huge culture shock seeing like seven or eight goals scored in a, in a hockey game, let alone, you know, a pair of touchdowns by both teams, like a 7-7 game. Like that's honestly insane. And I don't know if it's a, a lack of defense or just these kids being incredible skaters, incredible, honestly, everything. There's just so much young talent in the NHL. But this year, it's just, it's just been completely shocking but i i really haven't been able to turn it off it's been incredible yeah i was thoroughly impressed because i watched a lot of the regular season with the sharks but i um like edmonton i did not realize how talented and young they were until i watched them beat down on the sharks um they're so fast it was unbelievable they were just flying around the sharks like the sharks are a good team but they're like technical and they got to set things up and they have to do this and that edmonton it was just like an attack unlike anything I've ever seen. It was the second it started, I was already like, Oh, we're in trouble. This is not good. <laughs> Who do you think wins this year? I don't know. I kind of took a couple weeks off to, but, but um, I already liked, I like Washington a lot. I know that's kind of favorite and chalky, but I do yeah. like them. If they can stay healthy. Just, I think they finally got to do it. They finally can do it, but we'll see. They're struggling with Pittsburgh. That's a heck of a See's, series. Already. I know being down three, one. I mean, there, there's, literally no room for yeah. error i i can't i can't believe the penguins uh, honestly like they're so injury depleted and they're i think it's also one of those things like pittsburgh has washington's number and there's there's really no denying that they've been a team that the capitals have struggled with all the time and i mean i i really don't know if, if pittsburgh goes to the eastern conference final and pittsburgh goes to the cup final i don't, I don't really know who's going to beat them I, I mean it's it's so impossible to figure out the west in general let alone this year so i mean i, I, the, the I west got is a oh i know I, th- I think i got the penguins and i guess the oilers but it's who knows <laughs> yeah the penguins um 
that down through a three one effective one without Sid was amazing. That just no, that's just the basic basically like a middle finger to Washington. Like you already said, we already have your number. You knocked our guy out, and now we're going to go beat you. Um, this is how it's going to go. So and then doing it with Flurry in that too. I, I mean, that's a whole other like story. That. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Um, so yeah, they assuming they do hold on, it'd be hard to see them blowing this. But we've seen a lot of three one leads get blown. We won't go to that narrative right now. But. Um, uh, Assuming they get through, I think they're the favorites to keep going through. The Rangers are tough. They'd be a fun series, the Rangers and Pittsburgh. But um, I want to see Nashville do it. The fact they swept Chicago was amazing. And the fact that they're beating St. Louis 3-1 to already, um, I think that'd be pretty sweet. You but, know, it's it's crazy. Going into this um, Stanley Cup uh, postseason, I was thinking, I you know, all year I said – I love the Blues. I said, going into this year, I said, I think the Blues have a serious shot at winning the Cup and obviously the Capitals. And then watching the Blackhawks, especially towards the end of the post or the end of the regular season and noticing how they're, they're blowing these leads and they just don't look like the same team defensively. I said, I really thought they had a shot at losing first round, but then seeing their stats versus Nashville and how dominant they were versus Nashville in the regular season, Obviously, I go on and have one of my picks in the hockey pool is Chicago, Washington, obviously. I mean, <laughs> how can I not? But seeing how well Nashville played, it's just, you know, I guess I was completely wrong on it. And they, they would be they would be an awesome matchup for Pittsburgh, I think, offensively, I think. It'd be, I think. It'd be a lot of fun. Um, you it might see a lot, more, a lot more of those high-scoring games you're talking about. But... Uh... And you never know, Nashville's hard-hitting, and they could play some defense. It could be really interesting. It be really interesting. Um, all right. Well, enjoy your playoffs. Um, hopefully your Raptors can at least, you know, take one from Cleveland. I don't know. Le- LeBron seems very angry right now. Oh, he so, is. <laughs> so, an angry LeBron is not a good thing. <laughs> LeBron anything is not a good thing. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I I root for you to get at least one win so you can salvage, you know, something out of it. But um, honestly, I don't think it's looking good at the moment. Oh, it's not. <laughs> um, but, hey, you got there, and a lot of teams can't say that. Just look at the positives. But, um, Monique, thanks for joining me tonight. This was really, really good stuff. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Uh, everybody, you can find her on Twitter at Parlay Queen. Uh, she does some work over at Covers.com, covering horse racing, obviously, and some other good sports stuff. And you can hear her on America's Best Racing. They, assuming, did a, a, a Kentucky Derby preview. Um, where can they find that link at, Monique? Um, I retweeted them on Twitter or on America's Best Racing. If you search my name on there, you'll be able to find some stuff. And then same as for Covers. Perfect. Perfect. Well, check it all out, guys. A lot of good information there. Um, Enjoy the Derby, the Oaks on Friday, the Derby on Saturday. And I hope everybody has a good weekend. And this was Bench with Bubba, episode 38. We will catch you guys next time.